0: Hey, my name is Chris. I am a Carolina Panthers fan from Brooklyn, New York. Um, so my football experience or my origin, um, i never really actually watched football when I was a kid. I actually didn't start watching football till like the maybe the late 90s. Um, I used to spend my summers down in North Carolina with my uh, aunt and uncle uh, when they still lived down there. And this was back when Carolina first got a team. Um, so my uncle was so much into it. He bought a bunch of Panther stuff and like decked out his entire house. Um, and I think through the time spent with, uh, my family and, um, checking out, uh, some of the preseason games back then, um, was a great experience for me. And I, you know, learned to love football and, you know, now I can't get enough of it. Uh, Panthers, uh, Guardians, um, big fan of the sport and, uh, you know, looking forward to the season. Thanks.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you to Chris, who you heard off the top there, sharing his football origins experience, how he came to support the Carolina Panthers. Thanks so much for doing that, Chris, really appreciate it. It's something I've wanted to add to this podcast for a while. It's been an idea I've sat on for a little while and, and been trying to find more people um, to do is to share the story of how they became a fan, particularly people, you know, from from all over the world who weren't necessarily born into it. If that makes sense. If you would like to share your story, it's really simple to do. Just need to record it on your phone as an audio recording it can be as short as one minute as long as maybe three to five minutes maximum just saying who you are where you're from and how you came to be a fan of the best game in the world and then you send that to me email it to the jbfe at gmail.com that's the word the jbfe at gmail.com so send them on in because I'd love to have a whole collection of them that I can um, draw on and play at the start of episodes to really help people understand that football is an international game and we're all over the place so thanks again Chris I really appreciate you starting us off Right, so today's episode, going to talk a little bit about the XFL, um, the upcoming week, some quarterback talk. I'm going to just look a little bit at um, mobile quarterbacks and how they're impacting the XFL from what I've seen. Um, we'll talk also about the new p- proposed playoff system in the NFL that's um, being put forward as part of the collective bargaining agreement some interesting stuff to dig into there and will also fill you in on my experience watching my first ever game of Canadian football dug into a game from last year from the CFL decided it was time to get over my fear and start educating myself about the CFL and I'll share with you how that went later in the episode. But without further ado, let's dive in to the JBFE. So I'll start off talking about the news that came out about the new collective bargaining agreement um, in the NFL that's now been put to the players to... Deliberate on, particularly just wanted to sort of share my initial thoughts and feelings about um, an extended regular season. They're talking about uh, bumping things up to um, 17 games as opposed to 16 and then an expanded playoff bracket moving to a uh, a 14-team playoff bracket instead of the traditional 12-team bracket that I think has been around since 1990, off the top of my head, I could be wrong. I believe I read that. 1990, we've had the, the, the six teams from each, each conference. Could be wrong. So don't shoot the uneducated messenger. <laughs> um, my initial thoughts on this, I guess, are that this, the NFL to me when I came to it seemed so well balanced. Two conferences, eight divisions, made up of four teams in each division, the best six teams from each conference get in. And you know, those, those six teams are the four division winners and then two wild cards, the two teams with the next best records. There seemed to be something really pure about the format, I guess. It was unusual, I guess, to start with for me adjusting to it because uh, in Australian football, here in Aussie rules, you know, the, there's one conference essentially, and the top eight teams make finals or playoffs, and the top four teams sort of get a second chance. So, so. That, how it works in a very basic way is you 've got one verse one place four and two place three. The winner of those games get a week off and go into um, i guess almost what you would call conference championship games in a sense um, or semi finals or we call them prelimin preliminary finals for some i 've never anyway. There's a lot of confusion for me about some of the sporting terms we use. Um, But anyway. And then you've got elimination round in the first week of finals. um, Which is your five plays eight and six plays seven. Which in in essence is a bit like your wild card. Weekend in the NFL. The loser goes home out of those games. So the NFL for me was so well set up with its playoff format already that I, I get nervous about altering it and I get that and I'll talk about this later in, later in the episode that you know sometimes you can get attached to what you know and you're nervous about change and in fact the change could be for the best ultimately but you also don't want to mess with a good thing either. And if we take, for instance, this year's playoff bracket, if we had added extra teams, we would have had the LA Rams, who finished third in their own division, and you would have had the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I'm a Steelers fan through and through, as anyone who's listened to the podcast would know. But I would not have wanted to watch the Steelers, an 8-8 eight eight Steelers team that, that limped towards the end of the season with Duck Hodges and then some Mason Rudolph in some of the final games. Obviously, he, he was also the starter for the first half of the season as well. But I, I would not have wanted to see them go down to Arrowhead and take on the Chiefs. I think that's, a, that's just a waste of a game an extra game in which you know Patrick Mahomes may have been sacked and hurt and knocked out of the playoffs and impacted you know the Chiefs opportunity to field a as full strength side as they could as they made their way towards the super bowl i just really think that as i said i'm a steelers fan but we were undeserving to be in, in the playoffs we did a remarkable job with what we had on the park with with guys like Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph at quarterback. It's surprising we even made eight and eight. There was a lot of oh, they're going to go three and thirteen and four or four and twelve predictions. So I was I was impressed with how how we managed to scrape together a record of five hundred. But I was under no illusions that we were no threat to the Super Bowl at any point last season. As soon as Ben Roethlisberger went down injured, we were no threat. Because the game plan had to change too much that we're around... And you know, it's a, it's a weakness we've got in terms of our backup quarterbacks. I'll just tease this because I might talk about it on, a, on another episode later. But I would really like to see Pittsburgh invest in a, in a backup quarterback or a, a young quarterback in this draft in the later rounds who is an entirely different skill set to what Roethlisberger has. I would prefer that. I would prefer that if Roethlisberger goes down injured, you have a completely different quarterback to draw on. I'm thinking of a guy called Jalen Hurts. If we could get him in the middle rounds, and then you would have a quarterback who can do things on the ground, and would be an entirely different skill set. You could have a totally different type of offense to run, to fall back on rather than getting a lukewarm, mediocre version of what you're trying to run with Big Ben, with someone like Duck or Mason at quarterback. Anyway, just my thought. Maybe we'll talk about it more deeply on another episode. But for now, we're talking about the playoffs. I, Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of... And yeah, I know there's the argument that people say, oh, but you know what about these 10 and 6 teams that miss out? Okay. But how many 8 and 8 teams do we get? I think over the last 10 years, if you look back, if we had had the proposed playoff system in place, we would have had 5 teams make the playoffs, 5 extra teams make the playoffs, who had 10 and 6 records. But then you would have also had something like 9 and 7 teams and a bunch more 8 and 8 teams. Do we want 8 and 8 teams making the playoffs? I don't. And people make the argument, "Oh, but you know, what about the 8 and 8 team that started, you know, 2 and 6 and then and then, you know, caught fire in the back half of the season." Great. Get it going at closer to the start of the year. I don't if you're eight and eight, then across the course of a season, you are eight and eight. That's that's life. I don't think that eight and eight should be good enough that we're gonna to, to make the playoffs consistently. That to me is encouraging mediocrity. And I get that the argument's more subtle than that because you could say, oh, there's some 9-7 and seven teams that are you know mediocre by the time they make playoffs, whatever. And you're never going to get it perfect, but I feel like you're only muddying the waters adding two extra teams. And, you know, don't even, like, get me started on it. I mean, it's... It's a money thing. I get it. It's a business. They want to continue to make more money. But I don't know. At a certain point you go money at the expense of the integrity of the competition. If your team makes I get if your team makes an 8 and 8 division winning appearance in the playoffs which can happen in in divisions if it's an absolute dogfight um you know people are stealing games off each other inside their division or however it might happen i get that if you won your division at eight and eight that's fine but do you really deserve a wild card spot if you're an eight and eight team i don't know and the extra game Added to the season, I think again, it's it's a it's a money spinner, and I've heard some sort of rumours about the idea that you know because ultimately it would mean that some teams would end up with an uneven amount of home and away games, and they're saying well they're going to alternate that one year it'll be the NFC has the extra home game one year of the AFC. I think this is leaning towards every one of the teams playing one neutral site game every year, and that opens the door to hope, to getting you know big market teams to go and play in London because they're not having to sacrifice a home game the 17th game essentially will become an international or neutral site fixture that will help them expand the game internationally I don't know maybe I'm just maybe I'm just resistant to change maybe that's what it is but I just, I, I feel like it's so well balanced. It is so well balanced right now. But that's just my opinion. Other people and other people with more knowledge and um, different perspectives may see it differently. And I'm open to having my mind change too. This, this is, as I stated, this is an initial reaction to how I feel about it. And I, I am open-minded, I wanna learn more and more I want to expand my perspective on all elements of football so if there are compelling arguments to be made about an expansion of the season an expansion of the playoff well then I'm I'm all ears but my initial reaction is that this uh has the potential to um really dilute the quality of the playoff season um that's my initial thoughts anyway. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, um, oh, just as a quick aside, as, as we move into the XFL, um, if anyone's listening in from the New York Guardians Facebook fan group, um, I put up a couple of polls um, that are still ongoing. One was in regard to the quarterback situation and who you would like to see start... This week against the Battlehawks out of Matt McGloin, um Marquise Williams or Lu- Lewis, Luis Perez. Um, and it's, that's been an interesting and fiery little debate. Uh, currently, Marquise Williams leads with about 56 votes. McGloin is second with maybe 35, 36. And then you've got Luis Perez um, in a distant third with 21 Uh, but the other poll I I started was which in essence the question was which do you think uh, is slower to develop and impact a team more at the beginning of a season like in the XFL when you haven't had years and years of training camps and stuff to develop team chemistry is it Effective offensive line play, i.e. pass protection, run blocking, or is it the mind meld link-up between quarterback and wide receiver? That is, does your quarterback deliver the right throw at the right place to the right guy at the right time? And my... Personal feeling is that it's it's offensive line that is slowest to develop in these leagues, like in the AAF, like in the XFL. That these things take the the um, synchronicity and cohesion of an offensive line takes a little while to get together, and it also impacts the team the most. That was my feeling about it. Um, and uh, that's currently the option that's leading the poll 31 to 15 just to stir up conversation a little bit i would love to hear so there was room in the comments for people to explain why they think the way that they do why they think the offensive line is the thing that takes a while to develop but is also you know and is also the thing that impacts a team the most at this stage of a league at this stage of a season and there are a lot of people from that persuasion who, who put forward why they thought that was. But I haven't had any any communication from the, the quarterbacks or wide receivers, the, the quote-unquote skill position players, about why they voted that way. I would and I would genuinely like to hear why they feel that is the case. Again, as I said before... I'm a student to football. I love to learn. I love to hear people's perspective, particularly if it's expressed in a uh, a calm and educated way. If people can draw on personal experience and observation, even better. So wide receivers, quarterbacks, go on there and, and let me know why you voted the way you did, if you voted the way you did, if you voted for the skill position link-ups. Um, over the offensive line cohesion. Anyway, that sort of dovetails into a little bit of what I want to talk about now, which is basically I shared with you last week that I'd, st- uh, last episode, that, you know, I'd started to n- take more notice um, of some particular elements of the quarterback play in the XFL. Um, I talked about how I was trying to get away from statistical game analysis and more looking at what my eyes were telling me trying to trust my instinct on things a little um, to to be able to see what is working or what is happening to see what is happening and to be able to then evaluate whether that's working or whether that's an ineffective thing that's happening rather than relying on numbers to tell me well this guy's completing 70% of his passes so I, I just wanted to expand on that in a little bit of a segment, I guess, and, and, and invite, and again, I'm probably not coming to you with anything utterly revolutionary, but my intention is to just share how I'm watching football this weekend, what the things I'm going to be looking for and, and trying to observe, and yeah, just put out the invitation for you guys to think about how it is that you watch football. Do you notice particular things? Are there particular things that stand out to you? Particular things that you find difficult to watch and observe? I like to watch games for entertainment, but I also like to watch games to educate myself on the game. The offensive line, and and defensive line as well, but the line play, the trenches, is something that I'm always trying to expand my understanding of because I feel like they are... You know, I think it's outrageous that, you know, in, in, you hear in the media that people refer to, oh, the skill positions, and then you've, you talk about the offensive and defensive line as if they are unskilled players. There is so much skill. There are so many tools in their kit that they use to impact the game. And I'm always trying to learn more about that part of the game because, in some ways, it's a very, as, as someone who hasn't played the game, it seems like one of the hardest positions to evaluate and to see what is going on what blocking schemes are they using how effective are they how effective are the pass rushes what are they doing to try and negate the the attempts of the offensive line to protect their quarterback so again just as I say, if you've watched a lot of football, if you've been a coach, if you've been a player, if you've been a fan for decades and decades, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not expecting to be bringing anything revelatory to you. But I know a lot of you are like me and are students of the game who want to learn, who are never finished learning. And that's a big thing. I, think, I don't think I'll ever be finished learning about football, ever. There's always some new wrinkle to it. Um, that just keeps you guessing and keeps you fascinated and intrigued. So what I'm looking at this week is the impact of mobile quarterbacks on this young league. Now, obviously, to me, there's, there are obvious benefits if you've got a guy who's a legitimate dual threat, who can legitimately throw the ball around the park, who can legitimately be a, a threat on the ground. He can attack the other team in multiple ways. So that's an, an obvious way in which you may gain an advantage in having a quarterback of that ilk. And I think that's really obvious. So you look at the two undefeated teams, the DC Defenders and the Houston Roughnecks, have quarterbacks that have a degree of mobility, um, of elusiveness, the ability to escape, to, to evade pressure in the pocket and then to escape the pocket and continue to make plays once they're outside, operating outside of the pocket in Cardale Jones and P.J. Walker. I think Jordan Ta'amu from the St. Louis Battlehawks also fits in to that category. So there's the ways in which you use them as a weapon, the ways in which they can attack the opposition but another point I think and this plays into the the talk about you know it takes a little while for the cohesion of an offensive line to develop having a mobile quarterback and I'm not saying you have to have a legitimate runner I'm not saying you have to have Lamar Jackson at quarterback I'm just saying you need someone who can move effectively effectively and evade pressure in the pocket, and create plays outside of it when they escape. Because, in the early days of these seasons and these leagues, and you saw it in the AAF, and I think you're seeing it in the XFL, if you have a pure pocket passer, that's all well and good, as long as he has a pocket to operate from. And a lot of times, they don't. I think you saw some of that with the New York Guardians game against the DC Defenders. That Matt McGlon did not have the ability to elude pressure within the pocket or escape and make plays outside of it. Now, that's a different skill set. I think in, in, a, in a sounder pocket, you may have seen different results from McGloughan. However, I felt like the Guardians were exposed in that part of the game and I think it's where I'm pretty sure they've also got some injuries at offensive line as well. So there's a whole array of ways in which the offensive line is impacted but having a mobile quarterback who can function outside of the pocket just gives you the ability to extend plays and extend more drives. You see that with both P.J. Walker and with Cardell Jones that they are able to escape pressure they're able to shake off a tackler able to throw on the run able to pick up first downs with their legs you see that with Jordan Ta'amu he's a legitimate threat on the ground and I think it's It's impacted those teams in a big way. It's no surprise that the two teams who are undefeated have, in simplistic terms, probably the best two quarterbacks thus far in the league, but in more more, um, (laughs) complex terms, I guess you would say, they have quarterbacks who are mobile and have an element of mobility to their game. They can operate inside and outside of the pocket. So I'll be watching more of that this week. How, how do teams... One, how is the offensive line play developing? Are quarterbacks going to get better protection as we get deeper into the season and the line has played together for longer? That's a factor. Will teams with those pocket-passing quarterbacks improve across the season as the offensive line gets more time to come together and you know develop those on-field um, chemistries? Or is this a case of this is going to be a trend across the whole season that teams with mobile quarterbacks are going to get more results on the field? So I'll be be really fascinated to see how that goes, how that develops. And obviously there's a broader question too of in the NFL, mobile quarterbacks um, like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes is a good example actually of what I mean. Patrick Mahomes even more so probably than Lamar Jackson. Mahomes isn't necessarily what you would refer to as a legitimate dual-threat quarterback. You're not going to be designing a bunch of quarterback runs for Mahomes. But he has the ability, as we saw numerous times in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl too, he has the ability to improvise, get outside of the pocket, make passing plays inside or outside of the pocket. He can also get outside And pick up first downs with his legs. I mean, that that run against the Titans for the touchdown was was just outrageous. But yeah, Mahomes is what I mean, I guess, when I talk about it. And obviously, if you can have a Lamar Jackson, fantastic. If you can have a legitimate dual-threat quarterback, fantastic. And I think PJ Walker is probably closer to a Lamar Jackson style of player, a bit quicker and more agile. Whereas Cardale Jones, in a fashion, is more of your Patrick Mahomes type player in that he just has enough mobility to keep himself in the game, to keep the play alive. So that's that's an observation anyway and something that I'll be watching more of this week. Within that too, just a, a small thing, and I did discuss it on the last podcast, but I'm just going to bring it up again in case you didn't hear. Um, is just the 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 throwing, the diversity of throws that different quarterbacks can make. I think if you look at PJ Walker and you look at Cardale Jones, they can make a variety of different throws, and I've been sort of I've been harsh, I guess, on Jordan tamu but only because I see how much potential he has to be one of the stars of the league he is accurate he has completed a high percentage of his passes but what I see with Ta'amu is consistently his throws are hard and flat he has a strong arm but I don't see a range of sort of touch throws where he can take the pace off the ball because that's Just as important, when the ball arrives at your receiver, the ball needs to get to the right spot at the right time. Now, if you throw it into the right spot, the right place on the field, but it gets there too soon, well, then that's an incompletion or an interception. So it's not as simple as having a strong arm. And again, this isn't a revelatory idea. I'm, but it's something I'm, I've been more aware of watching the XFL and the different levels of quarterback play. And I think it's really obvious that when you watch a guy like Cardale Jones, he can make more throws than a Jordan Tamu. And it, it's such a big advantage to be able to throw with touch, to not just have to gun everything at 100 miles per hour. And perhaps that's something that we just haven't seen out of Tamu yet. Maybe it's something he had in college. Maybe it's something that will develop as he plays more at the XFL level. I don't know. But it's something interesting to look at. And I'm going to be looking at it. This is another observation I'm going to be making about the quarterback play in the XFL this weekend. is Which quarterbacks can make a diverse range of throws? Look at the trajectory and the speed with which each quarterback throws. Does it does it change? Can he modulate his pace? Can he modulate the arc of the ball to get it up and down between layers of the defense? Or is everything thrown like a laser? And those guys can be accurate, definitely. But there are some throws that are taken out of the playbook if you can only throw hard and flat or if you're only choosing to throw hard and flat. Anyway, just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, something I'd be interested to hear from uh, people about. You know, particularly people who have either experience coaching the position or playing the position. How much difference does it make to your team, to your playbook, when when you're not just a flamethrower? When you, can throw, when you can throw the fastball, but you can also throw the curveball. When you can throw a slider. How much impact does that make? Because from where I'm sitting as a fan, it makes a lot of difference. It makes a hell of a lot of difference. And I think it's no surprise that it's, it's quarterbacks like Cardell Jones and PJ Walker who are leading the two undefeated teams as we head into week three. So, finally, I'd like to talk about my first experience, my introductory experience, to the Canadian Football League. Now, as full disclosure, before yesterday, my only exposure to the Canadian Football League was through sort of vague mentions within... Um, NFL podcast shows uh, as it pertained to guys like Johnny Manziel going up to Canada. I would say that for the most part, most of the coverage um, that I had heard of the CFL via NFL channels were aired on the side of snide remarks um, as sort of the butt of a few jokes and my hesitation in watching it or exploring it, it didn't come from that angle. It came from not understanding what the game was about, fearing that it was gonna be vastly different to the football that I watched and loved in NFL and college. You know, I'd heard that there was, you know, a different setup with the with the downs and things, a slightly different setup with the field. But anyway. I can't even remember for what exact reason. I actually I do know what it was. I was as a New York Guardians fan. There was a, another fan um, that I was talking with online about the starting quarterback situation. He was sort of campaigning for Marquise Williams to make a start. He was saying, you know, he'd been good in the AAF. Um, he should have been the starter in the AAF uh, for the San Antonio Commanders. Um, he sent me some highlight videos of him. I went back and watched some game footage of Marquise Williams from the AAF. Kind of liked what I saw. And then I was trying to find, too, uh, any footage of him from the CFL because I knew he'd been a part of, I believe, the Sask- Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I think. If I'm butchering that, by the way, I'm learning. <laughs> if I haven't got the right team name or whatever, I'm learning, and I'm 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 keen to learn, as I've said. Um, so I, in trying to find footage of that, I found I couldn't find any footage of him playing in the CFL. But I did find some interviews with him uh, leading into the CFL training camp, and through that. I watched with my son a five-minute video on the differences between American football and Canadian football. Because I thought, why the hell not? I don't know much about this sport. Don't be closed-minded. Educate yourself. And so I watched this video. And then I went and watched some highlights. And then last night and early this morning, I watched my first full game of Canadian football. I I was going into it thinking, I'm going to be open-minded, I'm not going to pick a team, I'm just going to, oh look, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have similar colours to the Pittsburgh Steelers and I'm instantly in love. <laughs> and that's, so, I the idea of being unbiased and just choosing a, a team based on, you know, some sort of Um, altruistic reason, went out the window within about 30 seconds of realising there was a team that wore black and gold and, um, yeah. So, I am now, I can now add Hamilton Tiger Cats to my, to my list of teams that I follow and that's the game I chose to watch. I went back and watched their opening week fixture against, uh, I believe it was Saskatchewan the, the Rough Riders um, against the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, from last year, last season. A game in which the uh, the Tiger Cats came away victorious, 23-17. to 17. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. We'll watch again. We'll probably watch more more CFL games, um, like replays from last year over the weekend and, and the coming weeks. I've kind of got a vague plan that I'd like to try and find all of the Hamilton Tiger Cats games from last year and sort of watch the season unfold. I mean, I know where their season ended up in doing some research. I know they, they made it to the Grey Cup and ultimately lost to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I really hope I'm getting these team names right. I don't want to be that idiot that's like, oh, yeah, the such-and-such such Rocket Legs you know, but I'm doing my best. But I love it. I really liked it. and, And you get past the initial visual shock of, whoa, that's a much bigger football field. Holy crap, the goals are at the front of the end zone like they were back in the, you know, 50s and 60s in the NFL. Once you get past those things... You just sink into watching football. Another thing, if, if if you've never watched Canadian football, I highly recommend that you go and do it. There's some really fun stuff, like multiple guys can be in motion before the snap on offense. So you have two, three, four guys basically running towards the line of scrimmage as receivers. They don't have to get set. It's great. I don't know if there is a limit to the amount of guys who can motion. All I know is that a lot more guys can move around before the snap on offense. And it's really cool. It was distracting at first, but then I soon remembered it. It it's not that different. It's not that different. And in fact, I started to quite enjoy that. The, the sort of the motion of it. Um... Obviously, if you've never watched Canadian football and you don't know anything about it, it's also there is a a difference with the the amount of downs. So you only get three downs to make your 10-yard gain. So you go two and out and punt on the third down. Or you have to go for it on third down, and if you don't complete, then you you risk the turnover on downs. I really liked it. I liked the 20-second play clock. And and that's something in watching the XFL and now the CFL. That has to make its way into the National Football League in some way, shape, or form. I'm not saying we need a 20-second play clock, but we need a shorter play clock than what we have. That's just my opinion. CFL rockets along so nicely. Um, and... I just really liked it. It wasn't like the run game was non-existent because I was thinking, oh, okay, if you've only got, you know, essentially three downs and on the third one you're punting if you don't make your your, your distance, then if you've only got two downs to, to attack, it's all going to be passing plays. It's just going to be sort of arena football, deep shots and, you know, the run game is going to be non-existent. The physicality of the game is going to be non-existent. Well, you can dismiss that. One of the opening plays of this game, um, one of the Hamilton Tiger cats, took out the rough rider's quarterback out for the game. big hits there 's no fair catches either on on um, the punt returns, so people are getting lit up, and the run game is physical it 's not all just. We're going to do stretch plays around the outside or, you know, sweeps or something. It's not all outside running. It can be straight down the gut, hard, physical, bruising run game. It was fun, man. I really liked it. And I, I you know, another thing that sort of, you know, opens your eyes that football is so much more than the NFL. Now I think it's really nice that the NFL draws a lot of people like myself from international backgrounds to the sport of football and you know I'm not going to sit here and lie and go oh you know I'm going to boycott the NFL I don't like I love the NFL absolutely love it but I'm one of those people who doesn't say oh the XFL's crap get rid of it it should only be the NFL or well, the AAF's crap or Canadian football's crap. It's, all, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's NFL or nothing. That's not how I roll. It's all football. It's all amazing, in my opinion. And it's amazing in its differences. And it also has a lot of beautiful similarities that mean when you switch on a game of CFL, you're like, ha, I'm watching football. No different to if I switch on a game of NFL and go, I'm watching football. So I think, yeah, I I think I'm a little bit hooked on Canadian football. I got in as part of a Let's Talk Canadian Football League Facebook group. That's been really nice. People have been so welcoming and prepared to to help me learn about the league. And, yeah, I look forward to adding another string to my football knowledge bow because... You know, it it it's part of the whole picture. The CFL is part of the whole picture, and it is a. And I don't have to tell people who follow it this. But I, I sort of want to say this to people who haven't watched it before, or who have been put off by people talking down about it, or you know, like I say, some of the snide, sarcastic nastiness that sometimes comes from NFL media about the CFL like oh the CFL that's where careers go to die not so the CFL is a valid and important and legitimate football league outside of anything else outside of outside of the NFL outside of anything they're doing in America the Canadian Football League rocks and i've only played i've only watched one game but i love it and i'm going to watch a lot more And I'll be supporting the Tiger Cats come the 2020 season. Damn, I love football. (laughs) That's the big takeaway for me. I love football. Um, And if you love football too, go and watch some CFL. This afternoon, this evening, this morning, wherever you're listening to this, dial it up on your YouTube. If you've never watched it, go and watch some highlights. And then get a full game in you. Watch last year's Grey Cup. I don't know. Find a classic game. But watch it because it it increases your understanding of the type of football that's played out there. And also, there's some really nice stuff that we should probably think about adding into other leagues. Hint, hint. Shorter play clock. Hint, hint. Anyway, that's some of my initial takeaways from my initial viewing of the CFL. Go Tiger Cats. Well, that's all I've got time for today on this episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. Thanks so much for coming along on the ride. Thanks so much for being a part of my football experience. And like Chris did at the start of this episode, if you want to share your football experience with me and listeners of this podcast, you can do so. We're looking for people to share their football origin story, um, how they came to be a fan of football, how they fell in love with the game. You can do that by recording a short audio recording of yourself, telling your story. Begin with, I am such and such from such and such. Helps us understand where in the world you are. Increases our understanding of where all of these amazing fans come from. So start with that. In length, keep it no more than three to five minutes. Absolute max. If you can get it in shorter, that's fantastic. But if you if, you, if it's a long story, if it's a winding tale, take your three to five minutes, that's fine, and we'll, we'll find a way to put it all together. Um, but you then... Email those to me, so record them on your phone, keep it simple, and then email those to me at thejbfe at gmail.com, that's the word the, jbfe at gmail.com, and I will endeavour to get as many of those into future episodes as possible, it just adds such a cool international flavour to the podcast and really illustrates that the football family is everywhere. Wherever we go, there are other football fans around and it's so cool to hear how people from all around the world came to fall in love with this awesome sport. So please email those to me at thejbfe at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and yeah, just feel free to interact. If you've got any questions, if you've got suggestions, if you've got something that you think would be interesting to look at or talk about, email me, um, or, or contact me through social media until next time you've been great i've been reasonable it's the jake Botel football experience thanks so much for listening